The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Stir up, O Lord, the wills of your faithful people, that bringing forth in abundance the fruit of good works, they may be abundantly rewarded when our Savior Jesus Christ comes to restore all things, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. A reading from the New Testament, from the book of 1 Peter. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout all the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who likewise is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my sons. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. 
And while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble, noble storm, stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be one left upon the other, and that all will be thrown down. And he asked them, they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand, do not go be after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must come first, take place first, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, and do not meditate beforehand on how you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. And by your endurance... You will gain your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord. Whoa. Hello. Have a seat. Good morning. My paper fell. So um, I have to start on an informal note. I last week, Stephanie, my wife Stephanie, and I were in California visiting our daughter Corey and. Uh, our daughter, Corey, uh, you know, grew up in this church, and uh, she told me, I want you to say hi to people and tell them how much I love them. And I'm like, well, I am preaching uh, next week, so I'll tell everybody hello from Corey. So she's having a great time. Um, I want to uh, open in prayer, and then we'll talk about this last chapter of First Peter. Let's pray. Our God, we are grateful to you for all of the ways that you can encourage us. And thank you especially for how you remind us that you are with us to the end and that you will be with us even when things get really hard. Thank you for that. And we pray that as we look at these few verses that you would help us to remember, to be humble, and to trust in you. Amen. So many of you have probably heard me talk quite a bit about the fact that my father um, worked for his entire career at Biola University in Southern California. When he was there, um, I, when I was a teenager, around about, I guess when I was in high school, he finally got the idea to start to cash in on his employee discount, and he started taking theology courses at Talbot School of Theology. One class that he took was a church history course, and he ended up having an assignment to write a paper about his spiritual heritage. He wrote a paper on the Mennonite community, as his mother, my grandmother, had been raised in a Mennonite community in southwest Kansas. But then it went beyond the classroom. 
he began to do more and more research about his family history. And I'll never forget that part of the research he did is he sat down with my great-grandfather and interviewed him. My great-grandfather, his grandfather, Peter Clausen, had been born in 1900 and had grown up in this same Mennonite community in Meade, Kansas. He had been a teenager for World War I and the 1918 flu epidemic. He had raised his family during the Great Depression and World War II. My dad loved being able to hear more about the years that he had had and what he had seen. My father has now been dead for 10 years, and I miss a lot of things about him, but one of the things I miss most is hearing his perspective about things. I wish I could hear more about his young years in the 60s. He was kind of crazy. All the things that he saw. I so wish I could also just talk to him about what's going on now in the world. Am I alone in this sentiment? Don't we all feel this way? We want to preserve the wisdom and the stories of those who have passed on for the future and for our betterment. Speaking of people named Peter, as my great-grandfather was named Peter, we have been on quite a journey in Peter's letter. The Apostle Peter has had a lot to say to his church in a dark time. We have an imperishable inheritance and a living hope. It's an inheritance that should look more like blood than gold. We're to love one another, having been born again of an imperishable seed. We are living stones, royal priests, and a chosen race. We are to live lives of submission and deference to each other in our families and our communities. Just as Jesus was reviled and endured for our salvation, the righteous for the unrighteous, we are to endure to the end in the ark of the church. We should be able to give people reasons why we are hopeful. We are to reject living after our lusts and passions and live in a different way. We are to love each other in the church. We are to be hospitable, serving each other with the gifts God has given to us. And as Pastor Christian said last week, we are to be unsurprised by suffering. When you suffer as a Christian, you should not be ashamed, and you should remember that Jesus suffered too. So as I was reading chapter 5 in preparation for this message, I couldn't help but think of my great-grandfather Peter, sitting with my dad, telling him about the past. The apostle Peter is talking to the church here, sort of gathering them to himself in order to give them instructions he doesn't know how many years he has, but I get the sense that he might know that he doesn't have a ton left. And he wants to tell them what they should remember. So the main part of, the, of chapter 5, there's two main parts. There's verses 1 through 5 and verses 6 through 11 before the, the closing sort of uh, formalities. I'm going to talk about each paragraph. First, we'll start with verses 1 through 5. Peter begins his conclusion to the letter by specifically addressing elders amongst the church in verses 1 through 4. This word elders is important to note. It is a Greek word, and we get our word Presbyterian, and we also get our word priest from it. Peter appears to specifically be addressing those in the community that are in areas of leadership. 
This is especially seen by what Peter refers to. If, we merely, if he was merely talking to older people, I don't think he would lean so heavily on his co-laboring and being a witness of Christ's suffering and Christ's glory. And I love the way he empathizes with the elders he's talking to. Hey, I'm one of you. I get it. I understand. There's a wonderful paradox to these verses that Peter speaks on leadership. On the one hand, the pictures that Peter gives are very deferential. Elders are to shepherd the flock. And just the picture of shepherd is a humble one. They, they aren't to be domineering. They are to be an example. Peter reminds his fellow leaders that they have a leader, the chief shepherd, who sees their work. Jesus sees, and he will reward those who lead as Jesus would lead. But this still, even in the humility, hinges on the fact that Peter's okay talking about himself as an elder and a leader. He had witnessed the suffering and glory of Christ, and he has something specific to say, and the fellow elders need to pay attention to that. The main message is to shepherd the flock among you, Who do you shepherd? The sheep that have been given to you. Now, it would be fun for me to stand up here and preach to Christian and Cheryl and the pastoral staff, I guess myself included in that. And I only wish Pete was here so I could preach at him. But I think that the principle here is broader than just church staff and church pastors. I would personally feel comfortable applying these ideas to any person who finds themselves in a place of spiritual leadership. Back when Peter wrote this, there were no parachurch organizations or nonprofits. The main place of spiritual leadership would have been the local church. But in our day, parents, missionaries, leaders in the ministry, you name it, heed these words of Peter and how we should carefully shepherd the flock that he himself gives us. But even more broadly, in my experience, This kind of leadership, by example, works very well in the broader secular world, too. While Peter is not writing specifically to bosses, he has covered earlier in his letter the master-servant relationship, and I think he would see the value of this kind of servant leadership in many different spheres. If you are in a position of leadership, think about how you shepherd your flock. The way ahead in our world is to be louder, to boss more, to threaten, to cajole, to manipulate. These tools will get you ahead in the world's sense, but they may not work. They may not make for a very healthy flock. Consider that, elders, as you lead. Then in verse 5, the first paragraph closes with a much more brief word to the younger. It isn't always the case that a lot more is said to the leaders than the followers, it seems. Here, the theme of being subject turns up again. Peter reminds younger members of the community to submit. And given what is commanded of elders, if if everyone does what's asked, this seems like things should go well. N.T. Wright talks about how the focus of a good shepherd is not, how can I be a shepherd, but how can I best look after these sheep? 
And similarly, the call to younger ones is to clothe themselves with humility. While this is asked of the literally young here by Peter, I think it could very well extend to those who are following leaders in the church or other spiritual ministries. Whether older or younger in years, the call is to put others first and be humble. Elders, how are you honoring and shepherding those whom you lead? Young ones, how are you acting with humility towards your elders? So now on to the second paragraph, verses 6 through 11. Here, Peter resumes his broader tone and moves away from the specific addresses he's making in verses 1 through 5. And he returns to the backdrop of suffering as he gives some final encouragements. Now, I realize sentence structure is hardly a rallying, really inspirational cry, but it is noteworthy to see that verses 6 and 7 are one sentence. Beginning at the end of verse 5, Peter, as he so often does, alludes to Scripture. At the end of verse 5, he takes an idea from Proverbs 3.34 and reminds people of their place before Almighty God. Peter is very insistent to, to us that humbling ourselves is vital, whether we're young or old. The suffering of this world is great, and we simply must trust in one who knows more than us. Peter is calling us to the radical fruit of the spirit of patience. How does Peter characterize this humbling of ourselves? He gives us the caring mandate to cast our anxieties on God. In this way, I think we are reminded that a huge part of our faith is holding on to the providence and goodness of God. There are two things that Peter is assuming here. One, that the world is full of suffering and reasons for anxiety. And two, that God cares for you. Many dismiss the notion of God caring for us because they cannot reconcile looking around this world and see the kind of suffering we see and really, really believe that God cares. Peter here is reminding us how crucial it is to be humble and realizing that we are under God's hand and to cast our cares on him. The word anxiety here, it's not a word that's used a lot, but there's one really, really famous place where it's used. In the parable of the sower, when it says that the thorny soil and the worries of the world choke the plant and the thorny soil, that's the same word. It is a daily practice to cast our cares on God. He knows more than us. We can be confident in him. But this does not come easily to us, does it? We do feel that our ingenuity and our attention to problems can somehow obliterate them. And it's good to right wrongs that we see around us. There's no question about that. But Peter here is more, seems to be more submissive to the harsh reality of the suffering. He teaches us to cast our cares on him because he cares. You think you care? God really cares. 
But if you think that Peter is being idealistic and just doesn't get it, maybe being too rosy, check out the next verse. In preparing this sermon, I don't think I had remembered that Peter's follows up our command of casting our cares with him with a warning about Satan. Verses 7 and 8 are individually known very well. And at first glance, it almost seems insensitive. Don't worry, cast your cares on God, he cares for you. But remember, your adversary the devil prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Doesn't that strike you as odd? If tomorrow a lion escaped from the Como Zoo and was roaming the streets, it would make the news. We would especially take notice if we lived nearby. But Peter, the key is to me, Peter knows the zookeeper. He knows the great zookeeper. He has an idea of the bigger picture. The placement of these two ideas next to each other, cast your cares on him, your adversary Satan prowls around like a lion, give us a picture of Peter's mature faith in God. His God is bigger than Satan. He knows it. He's seen it. And he's going to tell us that. The answer to the problem of lack of humility and our adversary Satan is to steadily, every day, put our trust in the living God through Christ. And so then, of course, on cue, Peter pulls back and gives us the bigger picture to see why we can resist Satan in confidence. Verses 9 through 11. Resist him, Satan. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced through the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. As I was reading this wonderful, almost blessing here that he writes, I I thought of something. I thought of the fact that, why do sad movies minister to us? Why are the blues and spirituals so powerful? Why does God give us so many psalms of lament? Because there is power in solidarity. We want to know and we take comfort in the fact that we are not suffering alone. Part of how we cast our cares on God and resist the devil is voicing our suffering and remembering that others suffer too. And this in no way minimizes your suffering. It's not a suffering contest. It's reminding the church that others suffer too. And it's one of the ways Peter himself comforts the body of Christ in this time. I would encourage you, find a testimony from church history or a story from someone in your life. There are so many people who have kept the faith in the face of horrible suffering. Find one of them and get to know them. I go back to my great-grandfather, Peter. He passed away when I was about 18, so I got a chance to get to know him. His Mennonite ancestors had endured religious persecution. They had settled in what is now the land of Ukraine. In the 1700s, Catherine the Great of Russia had been good to them and granted them license to be able to have land. They ended up coming to the United States 100 years later in 1874 as a way to live their faith. The heritage 
that they ended up leaving me was one of devotion to the faith and that enduring hardship is part of that. That continued even with my grandmother's story, his daughter, of growing up in the Dust Bowl in Kansas. Migrating west during the Great Depression to California, where I was born. I grew up hearing about the value of endurance, whether I felt like hearing it or not. And that was such a valuable legacy that my grandmother and my great-grandfather left me. Not only did I learn that I didn't suffer alone, though, they both had such deep hope that it wasn't going to last forever. As Peter says, God will confirm us after we have suffered a little while. So as I thought about my dad listening to his grandfather, I remembered how powerful it is to listen to a wise elder. God works like this. He uses people who have gone before us to build us up. In a culture where youth is worshipped, elders honor God by passing on their wisdom, and young people honor God by listening. We see this also in our famous Deuteronomy reading. One of the last things Moses did was give one more address to the nation of Israel. The book of Deuteronomy contains that address. And within those famous holy words are these lovely encouragements. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. Think about the suffering and the failure Moses had seen. And yet we see in him a man who shared his wisdom with the people of God. And we are still listening. As we close our study of 1 Peter, let us give thanks to God for the wise words of this apostle. He knew failure. He knew anxiety and worry He saw a close friend betray his master under the influence of the prowling lion. The ups and downs of Peter's life are better known to the church than maybe anybody else. It encourages me to see what he has to say as his days grew short. Love each other. Humble yourselves before God. Trust God. He cares for you. You have the power to resist the flesh and the devil. The dark times will not last forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our mothers and fathers in the faith and our mothers and fathers biologically. Some of us who had wonderful parents who could show us the way. And we thank you for the wise words that we were able to hear. We pray that as we seek to be faithful to you, that you would remind us of your power and the ways that you have the ways that you have comforted those who went before us and the ways that you will comfort us in the future. Thank you so much for the Apostle Peter.